are elite. For everything you need to know about Mercedes Monet's AEW debut, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I am Mike Sharp, should have been called the cleaner. Sorry, carry on. The British Bulldog is part of the new generation. You may all bow before D. Mabel. Here it comes, here comes the Jackknife. I lives the new generation and the World Wrestling Federation. Welcome everyone to the Cultaholic Classic Raw review as the other Cultaholic lads bear witness to the charred remains of a monster from the depths. We are here via our Ica Pro-Powered DeLorean going through the Kentucky Fried remains of WWF's golden era. And who be we? I be radio presenter without portfolio, fake Geordie, former Cultaholic heavyweight champion Tom Campbell, and I am joined by the bear in the big blue barcade. He is the head pen of Cultaholic. If you were to give him a pencil like the WWE Network on Peacock, you can't go back and you may spontaneously get logged out. He is Justin Henry. He needs a pencil because he gets it right every time and he is off of America. Time for you now. I want to do my impression of the Monday Night Raw announced team <laughs> calling a match involving a demonic possession Horrible things that said demonic possession uh, facilitates. I would love you to. Now, bear in mind, this is a match where fire was thrown, (laughs) stage lights fell, and a demon rose up from center field. Now, this is how they would call it. Okay. And we see now as Alexa Bliss has caused fire to billow up from the canvas. Meanwhile, Phil Mickelson over on the 14th green. This is for Birdie. He, uh, he, he did land in the rough a little bit earlier, and now we see uh, the stage lights have fallen and have almost <laughs> blown to death. That would have been very, very bad because he's not insured. Um, <laughs> now what appears to be a molted version of IRS's kid is coming up through the canvas now. Bent on revenge, and now's a good time to point out that tonight on CBS, you will be seeing Madam Secretary. <laughs> <laughs> After we wrap things up here from uh, Augusta National, 
<laughs> 60 minutes would be live for everyone except we're on the west coast i like um, i like how they sound like they were calling a golf game during the fiend versus sorry the alexa bliss versus randy orton match featuring the fiend that match would have been at least three times better if jim ross had been screaming through it oh oh god is that the fiend that i think that was lacking there is this weird stuntedness about commentary in general in 2021 like it's mm. almost like they're too cool for school like they're not mm -hmm. to get too excited about stuff when really like i kind of need you to a little bit you know yeah it, it's like you're if, if this were music you're part of the band you mm. have to play in rhythm with everybody else it's a funny one it's, it's a funny one actually uh, i kind of hear excalibur and taz call it now Oh, it would just be Taz have it going off on a tangent about something completely different for a little bit. Oh, Fiend! Hey, it reminds me of my, oh, my ex-wife! Hey! <laughs> yeah, I've been burned like that. I've had a few tanning salon mishaps there, Excalibur. <laughs> hey, Joey Numbers! Uh, that'd be what it would be. But, I mean, we were saying before we started that... Uh, now, I personally, I enjoyed Fastlane. I thought it over-delivered in a lot of areas. Uh, you, not so much, but I think the point that I think for both of us, we we do agree on, is that this is very much, as you said, a pay-per-view to make sure that Peacock works on. <laughs> well, I didn't fully hate it. I mean, I, I love Brian Reigns, except for the convoluted ending. I know why they did what they did with the triple, with the main event at the end, because you had to set up Brian's involvement in the triple threat. Um, I like Seamus McIntyre. I thought Rollins Nakamura was pretty good. It's like a mid-level match. But a lot of it was just, man, it, it was a B-show. And Orton Alexa was what that was. We heard mixed reviews of people watching it on Peacock. There were some teething issues. And uh, how did how was your Peacock viewing experience? Perfectly smooth. I was actually surprised. I, mean, I, I was a bit annoyed when I got Peacock a few days ago and I saw the roll and it goes back to 2008. Mm. Which, I mean, that's like... <clears throat> how would you describe... When you have something, but you only have like the rough part of something, like serving Thanksgiving dinner to everybody, but you only have like the neck and the bottom of the legs. <laughs> You're missing some key functionality of the mm -hmm. of the unit. Some would say, uh, uh, I'm, "I'd be happier to have 95 rolls instead of Daniel Bryan's glory run in 2013 and 14." I would say personally, I would say that going going back to 2008. It's a bit like doing a historical perspective of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from the beginning, but stopping when you get to the Tony Dungy years. That'd be Tony Dungy, and thanks for reading my tweet out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I read your tweet on the news video on Friday. Well, it, it is true. It's uh, I, just wasn't, I don't want to make that comparison here because I, I wasn't sure you would really know who Tony Dungy was. Not a clue, but I but I appreciated it. Like the same way when you said the main <laughs> menu is designed to infuriate. Odds are the person who designed Wawa's parking lot headed up this project. <laughs> well, if you've been to a Wawa in South Jersey or Philadelphia, you know it's um, it's like twisted metal trying to get out of the parking lot. <laughs> I will say though, for for those of you who, know, who don't know who the Buccaneers are, well, you should you should know who they are at least. They're the, they're the, reigning Super Bowl champions, but in their early days, they lost their first 26 games across two seasons because they, they were still coming into their own. And their coach was a man named John McKay, the former head coach at the University of Southern California, who was a very sarcastic man. Great college coach, did okay in the pros ultimately, but a very sarcastic man. 
And during that 26-game losing streak, after one particular loss, a reporter asked him what, how he felt about his team's execution, and he said, I'm all for it. <laughs> that's a great line. Dark, that is. but that's a great and, line. And when they finally won their first game, it was at the end of the 77 season. So they're like 1-12. And he says, hey, three or four plane crashes and we're in the playoffs. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> well, let's, l- let's hope that the network on Peacock gets to a, a better place quicker because we need that back catalogue, really, don't we? We kind of yes. need we kind of need that back catalogue. Otherwise, we're going to have to watch No Holds Barred for three months. I mean, that's, that's what's wrong not, with that? That's not a problem either. That is not a problem either. We'll figure that out when we get there. Welcome to the Call of Hulk Classic Hulk Hogan Movie Review. <laughs> hey, do you know what? It's not a bad <laughs> shout. It's not a bad shout. We may need something in the interim. Um, mm. We are, for the time being, back in 1995 via the WWE Network. We are watching every single episode of Monday Night Raw. And we have been since 1993. In the timeline, not in real life. That would be weird mm. starting a podcast in 1993. People would burn us for being witches. And we are, at the moment, on the way to King of the Ring 1995. We're a few weeks outside of that particular pay-per-view car wreck. And we're going to get a little bit closer to it today because Justin Henry, very shortly, is going to talk us through this week's episode of Monday Night Raw. Where and when are we this week, Justin? This episode aired on Monday, May 22nd, 1995. It was taped one week earlier in at the Broome County Arena in Binghamton, New York. Um, we're putting together the road to the King of the Ring tournament. <sighs> it's um, it's a glorious town. <laughs> perhaps it's uh, perhaps it's it's um, fortuitous that we may be deprived of Raw for a bit as we, as we mentally prep ourselves. It's like a stay of execution. <laughs> they're just they're giving us a little bit of downtime. Bless them. Mm-hmm. That's very, very kind of them. So we're going to get to that episode of Monday Night Raw in just a little bit. I'm going to give you some headlines from the wrestling news in this particular week to give you a flavor of how the industry is doing. On Thursday just gone, the 18th of May, there was a meeting held at Titan Towers where WWF informed its wrestlers of a new and far more restrictive company drug policy while celebrating some financial success. This comes from Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, who says, quote, The seminar with all the contracted wrestlers included showing the wrestlers an information videotape of what the various departments of the company, such as marketing, TV and production, do. I want to see that videotape. That might be what we review in a month or so's time. Please tell me, David. Please tell me, David Brent did the presentation. Uh, I was hoping either David Brent or Stephanie Wyand, (laughs) (laughs) or both—a heady combination of both. (laughs) Oh my god! Could you imagine if it was Brent? Like all the all the WWF roster. Simply the best. He's doing the dance. (laughs) But before it starts, he gets everyone in the roster, opens the door, and goes, "Get out, John." I want David Brent dancing before an assembled meeting of, of, of the wrestlers. I don't care what era the wrestlers are from. <laughs> Just get a bunch of wrestlers in chairs and have David Brent dancing in front of them. I know you, I, I know you hate Ricky Gervais, but this will make me very happy. <laughs> I love you, that John. scene. Uh, the seminar with all the contracted wrestlers, as I say, uh, was a, it showed a video, showed all what all the other departments do. The big point of this is they want to... Uh, Remove the barriers, according to Dave, that had previously separated office from talent. 
Uh, also, McMahon told the wrestlers that Titan Sports grossed $83 million in 1994. However, after expenses, the company's bottom line was a loss of $3.8 million, which is... Uh, mm. it's, it's, it's not the greatest <laughs> of times, but I believe it, they've, they've had worse losses. <laughs> right? Mm. Right? Um, right? <laughs> uh, well, these aren't the glory days we're talking about here whatsoever. Absolutely not. They're far from it. Um, but it's not a good number for them. Also during the meeting, J.J. Dillon informed wrestlers of a new drug policy in which marijuana had been reclassified to the same position as anabolic steroids and cocaine in that a positive test would result in, on the first offence, a six-week suspension, in the second, uh, suspension and rehabilitation, and on the third, termination of contract. Now, the issue that WWF guys have had with this is... They are concerned, according to Dave, that this this new mandate will turn them into alcoholics. And that is the wording that Dave Meltzer uses in The Observer. Because the very nature of bump taking, worldwide traveling, frequent changing of time zones and the need for sleep makes some drug use a necessity just to survive in many people's eyes. And there were complaints that those in the office and the doctors who came up with the policy had never lived the wrestling lifestyle and didn't understand how grueling it is and the measures necessary to survive doing it. I mean, there's some valid points here, Justin, isn't there? But do you realize how silly this sounds in 2021? Oh, yeah, completely. <laughs> it's... I'm getting, like, I'm getting like mad reefer madness sort of vibes from this. I realized there was a very primitive view of marijuana for a long time, held by people that just didn't understand it or just were... Well, or just ha- maybe perhaps had their own reasons for wanting to classify it as something negative, but it's it's so it's so dumb to hear that now. Exactly. Just ask Valvinus about it. Um, <laughs> okay, maybe not the best how, spokesman. How about we ask RVD? He'd be happy to explain there it. There you go. RVD will tell us all about it. Um, let's go over to WCW. Last night, on the twenty first of May, nineteen ninety five, we had WCW Slambury. From the Bayfront Center in St. Petersburg, Florida. When I say to you, Slamboree 95, Justin, as the uh, as the resident archivist of the Cultaholic Lads, what what memories are conjured up? Actually, that was the very first pay-per-view from WCW that we ever ordered. Mm, really? Yes. I don't know why we ordered it. <laughs> I think it was my brother's idea, but we ended up watching it and... I thought it was okay for, for my 11-year-old eyes. I remember that being a surreal weekend all around for reasons that had nothing to do with wrestling. But um, it was – well, it sure wasn't a great show in hindsight. I know that. No, no. But you you added to that 0.77 buy rate that's been estimated by Dave Meltzer at this point. It drew around 7,000 so. fans live. Um, and about 4,700 of which were paid. They made just over 90 grand on the door for this one. Uh, That's it? Yeah, $94,000 house. For a, for a show that had Hogan in the main event, well, I guess they're banging on the pay-per-view dollars. <laughs> literally, Jesus. literally, the house that that lad won at In Your House was more expensive. <laughs> Do you want to go through this and guess the star ratings for each of the matches, Justin Henry? Well, for the matches that were on main event, I'm not going to remember those. Oh. For, for, for the actual main card, I'll, I'll definitely remember and something about them. And you call yourself a fan? I was 11. <laughs> you call yourself 11? 
Well, I'll give you the main event matches anyway. We had uh, the Blue Bloods facing Los Especialistas. I don't even remember that match. <laughs> I don't know who Los Especialistas are. <laughs> uh, well, Regal, <coughs> Regal and Eaton beat Aldo Ortiz, Ricky to his mates, and David Canal, a.k.a. Fidel Sierra. Oh, um, so it must have been the, must have been the Barrio Boys, Fidel Sierra and... Jeez, what was the other one? Ricky Santana? Ricky Santana, he's got it. That's right. <laughs> um, no star rating for this. He went 122. No, okay. Steve Austin and had Steve Austin with Meng and Colonel Parker in his corner beat Eddie Jackie with a face first suplex in one minute. No sign That's or significant. hint of him reforming the tag team with Brian Pillman. That is a significant match. How so? That was Steve Austin's last match in WCW. So from here, the wrestling landscape starts to turn. We just don't know it yet. We just don't know. Actually, there's two things from this week, two moments from this week that see the wrestling landscape turn. One in WCW, the other on WWF Raw, which we'll talk about in a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, so that's <coughs> your main event stuff, um, with the exception of... Oh, wait, there's loads more. Uh, Craig Pittman making Mark Starr submit to an arm breaker in two minutes. Gene Oakland saying Pittman is one of the young, one of the top young men in the sport. He was like 37. I know. (laughs) Young. It's like a monsoon called Carlos Colon, a youngster in the 93 Rumble. I'd like to point out that uh, I do believe um, 37 is still young. No, I agree. I agree. <laughs> Thank mm. you. Um, Meng beat Brian Pillman in a United States Championship tournament match in four minutes and 40 seconds. Meng didn't sell much. Well, because it was a shoot. <laughs> he worked himself into a shoot, brother. <laughs> right, let's uh, jump into Slamboree. Your opening match, then give us some star ratings for this, then, Justin. The Nasty Boys became WCW Tag Champs once again, defeating Harlem Heat in 10 minutes and 52. I'm going to guess two stars. Ooh, not bad. Two and a quarter. I was close. Mm. Mm. They're pitching for a dust-up with the Blue Bloods after this. There's a little promo. Lovely. Mm -hmm. Kevin Sullivan pins the man with no name, a.k.a. the man of a thousand gimmicks, Ed Leslie, in five minutes and 24 with a coup de grace, a.k.a. a double-foot stump. There's got to be a negative in front of this. I'm going to say negative one. Uh, No, it got a quarter of a star. What? Mm -hmm. All I remember is after the match is when the master came on the screen. Sullivan, come forth, my son. And Sullivan started leaving through the crowd. Yes. And And my brother and I had no idea what the hell was going on. The thing is, because this is this weird time where everybody's taping whatever in different orders, they've already taped like four weeks of Dungeon of Doom stuff. It's already Good. in the can, and this is just the 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 starter cap for it with King Curtis Ikea announcing to Sullivan to come forth, my son. Oh, I'm so excited for Dungeon of Doom stuff. Get to talk about that in the recaps. Um, I'm getting the story of, uh, of of King Curtis, the master's um magic sand dollar cookie, where if you look at you, you hallucinate. <laughs> he, he would carry around. <laughs> Wahoo McDaniel. At the tender age of 57 years old, uh, pins Dick Murdoch in the Legends match. Look at Dick Murdoch getting two checks in one year. <laughs> what did Dave give this on the old star system? See, 
See, Luger wasn't the first big jump in 95. It was Dick Murdoch. <laughs> Imagine Dick Murdoch walking out during the Hogan main event. Huh. He was just shopping at the mall and he says, hey, look at the ring. <laughs> hey, the wife's buying clothes. I'm going to go look at the wrestling. No respect. <laughs> um, I don't know how you... I remember the match was in black and white to add to the um, Legends feel of it. Um, That's correct. <clears throat> um dud it was indeed a dud and dave says very sad to watch dud is being charitable mm. wahoo was neither man had that many years left i think murdoch died the following year literally the only energy in that match is the name wahoo great muta in action next he's retained the iwgp heavyweight title against paul orndorff in 14 minutes I remember this not being that good of a match. Um, like one and a half, I'll say. Oh, you're nicer than Dave was. Half a star from Dave. Wow. I I know the, I know New Japan was pissed because they hadn't announced Muda's title change yet when those who started advertising. The, the winner of the Orndorf whoever match is going to face IWGP heavyweight champion Great Muda at Slamboree. And Muda hadn't beaten Hashimoto yet. <laughs> <laughs> what I love is that... Um, on our sister broadcast, the Cultaholic Classic Smackdown review, which you'll hear on Saturday, that last week we went through the card for the WCW pay-per-view. Oh, was it Super Bowl? Or... It might... Do you know what? It might have even been Slamboree as well. And the third match in was Great Muta <laughs> in 2000. It might have been Fall Brawl. Fall Brawl. Blood Rise. Fall Brawl. Oh, it was. No, no, no. You said it then. It was New Blood Rising. It was New Blood, Blood Rising. Uh, so third Ugh. match yet, it was Muta. So it's career progression over five years. If not for that ladder match, that show would have had no redeeming qualities. <laughs> Great Muta's been a champion across like five decades, hasn't he? He's the man. What an absolute legend. Arn Anderson, fifth match in of the night. He's going to retain the WCW TV title against uh, Devonda Kid Alex Wright in 11.36. Two and a half. Oh, three. They had a great finish. Arn faked punching Alex Wright. Wright ducks so Arn just DDT'd him immediately. Yep, that's exactly what happened. Really? I love Arn's DDT. Isn't it good? Mm -hmm. It's second oh. only to Jake's. Stunning. It's stunning. Uh, Meng went to a double countout with Hawk. Apparently, Hawk's entrance drew the first big entrance pop of the whole show. Just two guys who refused to sell for one another going to a countout. What did this get? I'm going to guess there's a hyphen involved. Maybe. Negative one? No, I was lying. It was a quarter of a star. No. Oh. <laughs> Again, charitable. Uh, the WCW Hall of Fame in, uh, ceremony takes place here. Gordon Soley's leading the whole thing, and we're seeing uh, Wahoo McDaniel, Johnny Valentine, uh, jo Wahoo McDaniel going into the Hall of Fame, uh, Terry Funk being out there to give a speech, Angelo Poffo going in there as well, uh, a number of other names. Also, in Antonio Inoki. Uh, who was spelt wrong on the match graphic as he was walking out to the ring. So, well done, everybody. I, I have to point out, you mentioned earlier the um, how the balance of the industry has shifted in, in this week right here. Perhaps a certain elementary school-aged child came out with Dusty Rhodes for his uh, induction, thus making his first ever appearance in the wrestling industry. Ooh! Mm -hmm. That's exciting. I didn't know that part. That's pretty cool. 
Adrenaline starts the flow. Who in the hell got booked the show? <laughs> he watched this show and went, hmm, WCWA. <laughs> I, I could book a better May pay-per-view than this. <laughs> yeah, I'll even so- work with my brother if I have to. Uh, there was a surprise inductee at the end, and it was Gordon Soley. And mm-hmm. it was a lovely moment. Soley did it. It was, actually. Got a little choked up. Yeah, it's nice that Soley gets the love that he deserves. He really is. Uh, Sting and Bubba Rogers, back to the action of the 90s. What did this one get? Actually, I recall liking this match, but I don't know how deep. I'm going to say two and a half. Oh, you're not far off. Two and three quarters. And For Sting and Bubba. Big Borden versus Big Bubba. They did all right there. They had some interesting chemistry, these two. They seem to be they seem to be matched together quite a bit around this period. This thing always did good with big guys who could bump. See Vader. Very, very true. Talking to which he's in our main event. He's teaming up with Ric Flair in a losing effort, of course, to Hulk Hogan and Macho Man Randy Savage in 18 minutes and 57. You get no points for saying that Hogan pinned Flair to win this one. I was going to guess the Hogan pinned Flair. (laughs) Uh, What did Dave give it on the old star rating? Two. (laughs) Wow, you are nicer than Dave. He gave it three quarters of a star. I think Dave was just mad because somebody got pinned and Oh, actually, I tell a lie. A star in three quarters, so you're actually much closer. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so well done to you. Uh, yeah, so this is uh, it's it's pretty indicative of WCW at this time. This show, the, the the numbers drawn in, the heavy influence of Hogan and his mates in and around the card. It's a uh, it's an interesting time for WCW, but they there are big things coming for them. So what I understand, mm-hmm. without question, got to wait a few months. Uh, but the wrestling world continues to turn. The Chicago-based AWF's weekly TV show made its debut. Warriors uh, of Wrestling is going to be part of the MSG Cable Network in New York. Uh, <laughs> it was an it was an infomercial disguised as a wrestling program. <laughs> this was uh, this is basically the wrestling company that was just grabbing whoever was available to build. Well, something. that's so TNA. Yes, it's it's early TNA, essentially. <laughs> it's like Tito Santana versus Bob Orton in 1995. That was they, they were the top guys, weren't they? If I remember them correctly. In, them in Slaughter. And do you know what? Slaughter bloody loved the way the AWF was run. In particular, the rounds system that they mm, implemented. Yes. They loved this. So the thing is, and, and this was something, and Brian Zane touches on this beautifully on Wrestling with, with Regret on his YouTube channel. Um, it's it's one of these federations which goes, we like the good old, bring back the good old days of wrestling. We like the good old days. And it's all too wacky now and modern. Let's take it back to the good old days. Bringing in the round system a la World of Sport and a lot of legends from the past making like being thrown over the top rope of disqualification. Like uh, overly obsessive with, with how stringent these rules are. It's a weird well, one, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it's... You can't be retro. You have to be contemporary and you have to kind of be creative. <clears throat> I mean, nostalgia only goes so far. Not that, of course, I say that, and the highest rate of roll of this year was one that had Hogan and Flair on it. So we need to stop watching these those episodes of Raw. 
because <coughs> we're just we're just damaging our own bottom lines here. But it's all right because because um, over in ECW, two lads are tearing things up, mixing it up, it, freshening it up. Would that be Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko? It certainly would indeed. The three house shows over the weekend, says Dave, which drew between 200 and 300 people, featured three matches between Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko for the TV title, all of which said to be in the three and a half star range. Guerrero won the first match, Hazleton PA, on the 19th of May. Malenko won the second one, uh, Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania. The third match went nearly 30 minutes in Langhorne, Pennsylvania. And this is uh, the the series. The series they have been doing has been something special. And there is talk at this point that there may be one more match coming, which would be a one-hour quote-unquote marathon match. Don't that didn't quite happen, but they did have a lot more matches that summer. And uh, and their last match in the company was against one another on their way out to WCW. It seems appropriate, doesn't it? And um, I want to end on one more bit from WCW, which I was uh, remiss in mentioning during the Slam Marie wrap-up. We talk about paradigm-shifting folk within the industry. No, sad, no. No, when I think of a a landmark star for AEW, I, of course, think of Shaquille O'Neal. Yeah. And uh, Hogan appeared on the NBA playoff game this week between the Orlando Magic and the Chicago Bulls. Uh, and uh, he was there hanging out with Shaquille O'Neal. Apparently, Shaq's a big fan of the wrestling, and uh, they 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 do some promos and stuff where they tease that Shaq is going to watch Hogan's back against Flair and Vader and all that stuff. And you can tell in these promos that Jack that Shaq's got a little little taste for the wrestling world. Oh yeah, I mean he was there the year before when Hogan made his made his debut against Flair because because that that was in Orlando. Uh, Shaq didn't quite fare so well in the NBA Finals, so clearly Hogan didn't have his back against Hakeem Olajuwon of the Houston Rockets. <laughs> Those are all my notes for this week's episode of Raw. Uh, so that, that brings us up to speed with the wrestling world. Let's hand over to Justin Henry from off of the America, the home of WWE on Peacock, where he oh, thank is going to talk us through this week's episode of Raw. Well, this week is the return of Shawn Michaels after a six-week injury layoff, courtesy of Sid and... The power bomb that went well and the two that didn't. <laughs> uh, we get the footage of Sid beating him up. Vince ties it all together with a whole. He was a part of the corporation all along. He was clearly on the take from Ted DiBiase. <laughs> so because the the clearest path to Diesel was through Shawn Michaels, but tonight Shawn is back, and a cannon qualifier gets King Kong Bundy. Sure enough, we plug the opening of the show here. We have. Sean Bundy tonight. We have the Allied Powers in action. Bret Hart is here tonight, and he and Lawler is nonplussed despite spending all last week making fun of Bret. So we'll see what happens there. Mm-hmm. Opening match: Razor Ramon versus Mike Bell. Razor has Savio with him as we attempt to make Savio a thing. So far, they're trying their best, aren't they? They're trying their best. They haven't given him a lot of exposition outside of that promo last week where he kept talking and Vince has cut him off. Vince does that to everyone, though. It's like a weird rite of passage that you you do a a promo or you play a vignette of you talking and Vince is just going, oh, let me explain what he's saying. No, just shut up and let them explain it. You've hired them to do this job. Vince is Dieter from Sprockets. Your setup has become tiresome. (laughs) Hey, we had some uh, 
icy title shenanigans over the past week, haven't we? We sure, we sure did. Razor won the belt from Jarrett in Montreal. And then Jarrett got it back in Trois-Rivières, Quebec. Or Lord calls it Three Rivers because he's lazy. <laughs> <clears throat> I miss and the days we- where they did this, where they did the whole little switchy switchy on the on the house shows and stuff i quite like i miss house shows yeah me too (laughs) (laughs) i think the last one was andrade beating ray for the u.s title in 2019 oh my god that's a bit of a moment then isn't it if that was the last house show that we did because that was it because we were talking then around that time about saying how wwe may cut back on house shows maybe just do a couple of big ones per year instead of loads of little ones it's like well they certainly cut back in 2020 on their house shows. On their house Behold, shows. divine intervention. <laughs> <laughs> but Tom, what is more prestigious? Winning the Intercontinental Belt from Jeff Jarrett or winning a King of the Ring qualifier over Jacob Blue? Well, King of the Ring qualifier, obviously. Because why would you not want to be the king of a The Ring? We can add the Blue King from uh, Techno World Wrestling. <laughs> Blue King sounds like uh, it sounds like it should be a sponsor on Conrad's podcast. <laughs> now, Tony, if Blue Chew's not enough, you might want to crown your wang a ding a ling there <laughs> with our new Blue King. Want to tell about it? Well, thank you, Conrad. <laughs> I'd be delighted to discuss. <laughs> I want to say this, right? I want to get this out there, right? Mm. can right i i know everyone's entitled to opinions and that's the spice of life but dullards on the internet right yes you know who you are leave conrad alone i swear mm. to god like conrad thompson is honest to god he is so good at what he does I, I, I listen I listen avidly to the podcast that he does, and you're probably going, oh, brown nose in blue chew in Conrad. No, I'm not. I'm not. Like, I listen to a lot of podcasts and stuff, and, and with with Desert Island Graps, I tend to listen. This is a little, a little, ins- little behind the curtain here. If you're doing wrestling interviews, listen to other wrestling interviews. If you're interviewing somebody, listen to other interviews they've done. Give you an idea of what they talk about and stuff. And you know what? I hear a lot of crap. I hear a lot of crap in, in, in people. I hear some great stuff. I hear some great wrestling podcasts that have really insightful discussion with some wrestlers. But I also hear a lot of garbage. And Conrad is genuinely so good. And I know it's because he's got this lovely affinity with Eric Bischoff and Bruce Pritchard and Jim Ross and Tony Schiavone and the rest. Uh, but I I'm so I love the way that he is able just to very gently needle to get a bit more information but also knows when to stop when to push a bit more when to pull back a little bit he's got such a great flow with it i think he's so perfect for the role that he plays in sort of in guiding these people who you know eric bischoff could probably do a podcast on his own but i think the the value in eric bischoff is having eric bischoff not worry about the, the the process and the production and the technicalities and just having his mind and having somebody feel questions towards him. And I think Conrad does a, does an excellent job. And I just see a lot of people kicking off about Conrad being involved in projects within wrestling and doing a lot, doing a lot of podcast stuff, and making his money. Yes, make the money. Make the money because you're bloody good at what you do. Rant oh. over. <laughs> um, well, well said. Uh, I'm going to say Conrad's in the same boat as Tony Khan. Two fans 
who put in a lot of work to make their dreams come true mm. and you don't envy you admire absolutely that's and that's it you know what and that's a big part of it is that conrad mm. is a big wrestling fan and he's doing something cool within the wrestling fan community you know same mm. way that we are and there are people that go i want to do that and that, and here's the other little secret behind the curtain of podcasting if you listen to someone like conrad and your overall thing is oh i could do what he does go do it go do it like now is the best time to ever get into broadcasting because you don't need a qualification you don't need a degree you don't even need a fancy setup what you, I'm you definitely don't need qualification look at me exactly look at justin look at me we don't need anything like up until up until last tuesday the microphone i was talking to you on was muffled with a sock a sock from the washing basket to my right. Like, there's <laughs> no expense spent. I've, I've, I've pushed the boat out and bought a little mic crane and a muff now. But you don't need all that. All you need is the is is your is the, a belief in yourself to make it happen and just the the gumption to go and do it. And if you're one of those people that goes, I could do that better. You know what? Now is a now is a great era to put your money where your mouth is and go and do it. Done. Yes, they did. <laughs> you can tell I've not had much sleep because <laughs> since Sunday. Because we're going to get through Razor Ramon and Mike Bell, whether you like it or not. No, whether he wants to or not. Oh, he's on later, isn't he? Yes, get in. Of course he is. <laughs> so, for this match, Mike Bell gets a lot of offense in because Razor is very, very giving. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's under the guise of Mike Bell stuns Razor with his brazenness and his bravado. Razor humbles him a little bit later, not in the Iron Sheet kind of way. Um, so Bell shoves him around, takes him down, get battle over a hammer lock, and Razor smacks him in the face. To the corner they go, where Razor hits this gunshot loud chop. I mean, almost knocked his areola off of that one. It's a big um, loud move in it. So Bell got in his offense. He looked he looked decent for. He had a solid career, uh, although it didn't turn out too well for him in the end, unfortunately. But Razor torments Bell for a while, gets the he's he's basically trying to amuse Savio at ringside. With with his elevated STF and all the other torture maneuvers. He does he does the um super choke slam, he does the uh top rope back superplex, and then he see he goes for the razor's edge, he feigns it, and it says out of hell with it, and just shoves him and like half conscious Mike Bell to the canvas, puts his foot on him, does the razor's edge pose, and that's and that's your pin. Interesting little finish that. Yeah, it, it, it was something decent. I mean, Razor's not like a true baby face. Like he's his moral compass is pointed in the right direction, but he's still, you know, arrogant badass Razor. I was never a fan of these of Razor Ramon <clears throat> enhancement matches. I always found them quite plodding, and like he just. But then it's because I guess he's a baby face who's got that heel swagger. And this was very heel swagger, but I really, I kind of liked it. Like and anybody else, it would have buried them. But I, with the greatest respect, Mike Bell, it's Mike Bell. It's fine. He'll get over it. We'll all get over it. But I like the idea that, that it comes back. Because didn't he use that back suplex off the top as a finish for a while anyway? Well, that was the setup for the edge usually. Mm. And this time he just went, I can't be bothered with the edge. Just leave mm. it. I have to say what... What I love about Razor, and this stands out a lot more in, with each passing year, when he turned face, he didn't lose 70 IQ points. And he didn't lose what made him cool. 
Yeah. He's still Razor Ramon now. He just beats up the bad guys. I like that as well. And, I, and I've always been appreciative of when wrestlers can turn to the dark side and still maintain that, like you say, that edge that makes them cool. If Razor had gotten the diesel push in the title ranking, imagine what his promise would have been. Oh, would he still been Razor or he would have been like, hey, Chico, I love the company, man. <laughs> hey, Chico, been- my name is Scott and I love my mother. Like, oh, no. <laughs> it would have been a... Uh, yeah. Imagine, the... imagine WWF on the shoulders of the bad guy. Oh, you'd have had the Attitude Era four years early. I, nothing against Kevin Nash, but I think Scott Hall would have been a better world champion. 100%. 100%. Just that. Just, I love the idea of him being... And now, the issue is, then, you've still... You're lacking that depth of a, of of opposition, which is a big part of among many things. And one, and I think I think we will do. Maybe that's maybe this is how we get round if we end up having to have a little bit of downtime from doing the classic war review on a week by week. Maybe we just do sort of retrospective of some of these guys, and maybe we almost do, for lack of a better term, a post mortem of Diesel's WWF title run. And some of the elements, obviously, the the whole I I'm just a lovely man called Kevin Toot Toot. That is bad, but the the lack of depth of of competition is a big thing that killed him as well. Would that have been a, a similar issue? Do you think with Razor Ramon? Who would you put him up against? Well, if Diesel were still a heel, that might have been less of a problem. True, true. Ramon and Diesel on top. Because you're not turning someone babyface to give him the main event push. Razor's already a face. Would you have kept Sean a heel? And then you could have done Ramon. Sh- oh, great. Boom. Boom. You could have done that. And SummerSlam, your main event is Ramon and Sean ladder match for the title. And you go, the evolution of these lads. They were fighting for the Intercontinental Champion. Well, Tom, 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 the problem here mm-hmm. is that Diesel's taller than Razor. Uh... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Yeah. Hmm. Damn it. Forgot about how Vince McMahon likes big sweaty men. Razor was a big sweaty guy. This was a bigger sweaty guy. He's the biggest sweaty guy. <laughs> and well, speaking of Razor, him and Savi are going back to the locker room to celebrate their win over hapless Mike Bell here. When all of a sudden, Brett, Brett the Hitman Hart, wearing no shirt but his leather jacket anyway, with de- with denim shorts and what is looked at that the, the, I would call grunge Canadian. <laughs> like he's about to drop a brilliant duet with Alanis Morissette. Does Canada have an equivalent to Soundgarden? Um. Oh, who would Nickel? No. <laughs> How dare you? I'm sorry, How Canada. Da- I'm sorry, Canada. So I'll start an international incident here. What would be a good Canadian version of Soundgarden? Canadian '90s grunge bands. Canadian alternative groups from the 90s. Bare naked ladies. <laughs> Black hole sun. It's been one week since you looked at me. Ah, same, same sound. <laughs> if I had $3 million, I would have left Vince in 96. <laughs> Could we put in the mix Our Lady Peace? Ooh, that's, I mean, they're more like post crunch, but sure, why not? Because they were they were a big thing in sort of the mid nineties, yeah, a bit post grunge, as you say. Mm-hmm. So well, anyway, Brett breezes past Razor and uses an old saying: "He's madder than a wet hen." <laughs> whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. <laughs> yes, hold up. Um, <laughs> who? who? <laughs> Sorry, that's an owl. <laughs> <laughs> i'm here to buy an owl we don't sell owls someone told me you did who i just fucking heard one um (laughs) so who says madder than a wet hen apparently it's a southern expression i just googled it but i've heard it before (laughs) i've just heard the phrase well, now I'm going to have to use it somewhere. Now I'm going to have to drop it into a news video or something. See, apparently the origin of the phrase is when a hen either won't lay more eggs or let the farmer take her existing eggs, the farmer's solution is to throw a bucket of water on her and break her of her broodiness. So, as yeah, because man, I, I find I find that in order to in order to, to to get someone to do what you want them to do, you chuck water on them. See, Blink was very persuasive. <laughs> exactly. So anyway. Making all those all those hens <laughs> wet. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> That's starting the doing for Henry Godwin feud that we all secretly didn't want. <laughs> we didn't need it. Well, we're getting it. Oh, so, so anyway. Brett's, Brett's out here being a wet hen. <laughs> Brett's furious. He's livid. He pushes he can't past lay the eggs. Breezer good. Brett goes right up to Lawler at the desk, the table, and he starts takes the mic and starts talk, talks about how humiliating it is to lose to Jerry Lawler, which I think was a shoot in his eyes. Mm-hmm. He's mad at Lawler for running his mouth since then, and Lawler's kind of standoffish a little bit. Brett wants another match with him, and he even says one more match, 
which makes him the first Canadian that I've ever said that phrase. <laughs> I believe someone from Ontario owes him a dollar for every time he said it since. <laughs> so, so Brett's starting to froth at the mouth a little bit. This is like when, like his, you thought his fist balled up, and he's he, he's ready to fight right now. He's standing over Lawler. He wants that match. That any match Lawler wants could be anything. Because he, he just wants the chance to finally humiliate him and get him back for everything he's done. He's Brett's now standing over Lawler. Lawler's cowering. Brett has a hold of Lawler and actually and actually says with a bleep that Lawler is lower than shit. While 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 Vince and other personnel like Briscoe and Hebner are trying to pry Brett off of him. This was a pretty convincing segment here. Do you know what? I was I've been very critical of Brett and Lawler continuing on. I've been very critical. This won me over on it. This is mm-hmm. this. I think was, I I think this is one one of my favorite low key one of my favorite Brett promos. He came out. He came out with no airs and graces. His music didn't play. He was in his jacket. He was he crossed as as Ramon and Savio were heading back. Crossed paths with them. And the promo is, it's Brett and it's pathos because it's Brett going. I lost. And I have to live with that failure. That failure is on me. But I'm mad as hell at you, and I and I'm and I wanted one more match with you. Like he wanted, like it was so different to like a normal shouty, angry face promo wanting to get a match against their rival because Brett was. You could get the vibe that Brett was really annoyed with himself at the same time that it's got to this point that he's allowed it in his head, in his mind as a as a wrestling as a wrestling legend, like to get to this point with an idiot like Jerry Lawler to the point where normally cool, calm and collected Bret Hart. He's no longer the champion. He's in his, he's in his rough clothes and he's throttling Jerry Lawler to give him another match. And there's a great camera shot where it's near the ringside. It's, it's near the opposite side to where the commentary desk is, but it's shot in such a way where you've got um, personnel turning up you've got a camera two camera people there and you've got the crowd like on top of it it looks like a fight has broken out in the middle of in the middle of an audience that's what it looks like in this one shot where you just see sort of brett in the middle of it and there's movement and everyone's eyes are glued on what's going on in the center and i just thought this whole bit was great just just angry brett and just the way it was shot just felt out of hand and that's what Raw when Raw was Raw is always the best when it does that stuff. And I think that's why, among many issues, why we struggle, why Raw doesn't have that same edge anymore. Because Raw was at its best when it felt out of hand. The whole purpose of it being live is that oh my god, anything could go, anything could happen, anything could kick off. But the the product on the whole, and I've discovered this doing graded for the last year of Monday Night Raw, the the product is very sterile, and it doesn't have that environment of anything could possibly happen oh my god whereas this feels really earthy and aggressive and i really really like it you praise brett for his part in this but also has to be said that lawler after talking so big for so long and talking up his win like it's like it's the like like, ah, i'm clearly better than brett hart and all brett has to do is just show a bit of aggression toward him and lawler is the perfect coward yeah and just, just finally called out for what he said, and, and now he's apprehensive. His eyes kind of dart up a little bit, like, "Oh, just I'm, I may have gone too far here." Lawler, say what you will about the guy, yeah, he was one of the best heels of all time. 
when he had to when he when he had to really be the heel. No one would no one would play the scalded dog as as Jared would say to use another southern expression better than the king. There's a bit where he says to Brett, "You lost, get over it, move on." And uh, as he says it, it's almost like he has a moment where he's like, "Did I say that?" Like he has a little ups- like he looks terrified as the words have come out of his mouth. Like, why am I inciting <laughs> this further? And 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 the moment that Brett's being dragged away, he's Billy Big Bollocks again. And it's and it's really <laughs> it's really simple stuff. That, mm-hmm. that it's it's not it's not overcomplicated. It's not overegged, and it's just played really well. It's mm-hmm. played really well. I, I you know what ninety five is is a slog of a year for wrestling, but this was a great little a great little oasis in the middle of the desert for me. I'm gonna make a bold statement here. Bret Hart, who I think is one of the greatest baby faces of all time, was never more of a baby face than when he had Jerry Lawler to play off of. I think you're probably right. You know. I think mm. Lawler brought out the best in him. In that sense, maybe not, not technical, but from just from, from just I'm gonna kick your ass for what you said kind of way. Mm. He brought right. he, he brought out the fighter in Brett. Absolutely. Well, well, enough with that angle. We come to a match that is inadvertently historic, mm-hmm. and we had no idea at the time just how relevant this would be in the decades since then. As enhancement talent, John Crystal goes one-on-one with making his Monday Night Raw debut, Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Now, is this his first match on television for WWF? Or has he done no. some Superstars and Action Zones nonsense at this point? He's done other yes. stuff. Yes, he's done that stuff, but this is his first Raw match. So this yeah, so this, ha- this carries its own significance. This is <laughs> the guy who's going to lead the company in, in a oh. couple of decades' time. This is the first time Paul Levesque worked on Monday. Oh my days! And 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 here's to the rest of them. It seems I did. I did right here. It begins. Hunter <laughs> <laughs> Hurst Helmsley with his future father-in-law at ringside. Weird world. It is weird a weird, world. weird world. And do you know what? In a, in a, in another wonderful future echo, we have a heat machine on full blast for this one. <laughs> Quite randomly, did you hear the pop that John Crystal got? Oh, well, he's John Crystal. We're in Crystal Country, clearly. <laughs> yes, uh, Binghamton, New York is Crystal Country. <laughs> his venture his is the Crystal Method. <laughs> oh, yes! So, Hunter pressure begins breaks a... crystals. No, no, pressure doesn't make crystals. Pressure makes diamonds. Not today, right. it doesn't. <laughs> he's Crystal Clear. Oh... Let's make there you go. There's Ramon's first opponent in his in our fantasy book to WWF. So in this match, Hunter does a lot of moves that I've never seen Hunter really do since then. This is a very unhunter like match. Mm. We get a wrist lock spot where he does a roll through and comes up with a snapmare. Like he's like he's a junior heavyweight in New Japan. He does a spinning leg Larry like Owen Hart at one point. This is like when you play like like Attitude or one of those old video games where everybody has has mismatched move sets. Like what? Like like why is uh why is Ubuntu Guerrero doing like uh, a power bomb on the giant? It's a weird set, and 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 also like I forgot I forgot that he had his own walking animation mm-hmm. throughout this period in his life. Like he's got this. If they were if if they were going to put him in a video game, they'd have to make a whole new. Uh, arrangement for his walking around the ring because he does this sort of posh walk with his arm raised 
throughout the entire thing. Because he's he also has the one hand behind his back like Regal does. Yes, that's it. That's it. That's it. You know, the man who would who would help scout talent for his uh, developmental territory one day. It's what a world, eh? (laughs) What a world of wrestling this is. We get one kind of uh, grim moment during this match. It's when Vincent Lawler plug a plug a USA Network movie starring Christopher Reeve. It was that ensuing weekend that he suffered the equestrian accident that paralyzed him. Jeez, I didn't realize it was that close to it. I, I knew it was 95, and I Googled I'm like, oh, it's mm. closer than I thought. Yeah, it's a very sad story. Really sad story. It was the uh, the guy who originally played Superman, arguably the, the definitive Superman. Was I would say definitive. Mm. you Henry Cavill's very good. He's, he's good, but Christopher Reeve was just Christopher Reeve. Have you sat through the Snyder Cut yet, by the way? No, because I have better things to do. <laughs> it's long. It's long. <laughs> it's good. And 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 for what they wanted to achieve with Justice League, I think it had to be that long, rather than sort of uh-huh. trying to squeeze 400 pounds of, of, of Scheiser into a five-pound bag. I just don't quite get you know, that ramped up for superhero movies, but to each their own. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And like, I understand it's a big deal for, for fans of that genre. But it's just like, eh, if it's good, maybe I'll watch it one day. Who's to say? Watch Aquaman because it's bloody hilarious. Because <laughs> everybody, there's, we watched just we watched the Snyder Cut, and then the next day we went, oh, we'll watch some of the DC movies since we're still locked down. So like, we watched Wonder Woman and we watched um, Man of Steel, and then we watched Aquaman again. So I'm like, I'm desperate to like the Aquaman movie. It's it's, but it's bad. Is bad. Like this is there's scenes underwater where everyone's just riding around on whales and seahorses, like it's the most normal thing ever. And there's just one scene, and I don't know why, but every time I watch it, it's like they're having this really serious conversation about like having to stop uh, the evil from getting hold of all this power. And then this guy just walk just floats up to the mid conversation riding a seahorse and it's just it's so jarring because i like i know we're underwater and i know we're in atlantis it's so jarring and it's they they, they try and get so much lore into these dc movies because they're playing catch up with marvel but aquaman is is on so many levels unintentionally hilarious if you've never seen it it's bloody hilarious i did see aquaman he beat daniel bryan on, at, at, at uh, fast lane hey he he did as well he mm. flipping well did. Oh, and also Pitbull butchers Toto Africa in the film, which just, which just to me makes it even better. <laughs> anyway. Well, the who didn't butcher the stuff was Triple H, who mm-hmm. had some good looking offense here, including a tilt the world backbreaker that I never really see him use. And then he finishes not with a pedigree, but with a cutter. An RKO before it was an RKO. Right, he taught it to Randy Orton. <laughs> was it him that taught it him? Or was it no. uh, old laryngitis, wasn't it, that taught it him? Let's <laughs> say Hunter could head up talent relations with a move like that. <laughs> I'm back and I'm better than ever. It's so funny how there's so many little elements in this. You know, you know, Triple H with a, a move set and a style very similar to the guy who A, trained him and B, heads up his developmental system now. His future father-in-law is ringside calling the match he uses the finish of one of his one of his trainees as the finish to the match it's just there's lots to to drink in from this particular little moment in history it it, it is a surreal match in so many ways mm. and it's the first of many for hunter on this show we then come to a segment that 
I wasn't sure how I was going to feel about going in. See, it involves our good friend Bob Backlund, who at first we were excited about his heel turn. And then we quickly realized that some of it just hasn't aged well and is, in fact, a lot more boring than perhaps we remembered. Mm. But this, after he announced his candidacy for president a week ago, and, and by president, I mean not president of, a, of, of the WWF, I mean president of the United States. We have a campaign vignette for Backlund where he's sitting in what appears to be Jack Tunney's old office because they're already clearing Tunney out <laughs> and, and where he's making campaign promises in the field of education. And his, his first his delivery here, he's so wooden and stilted, which I think was by, I hope and think was by design. Like he, he, he's just so like, he's stopping in the middle of his sentences. There's awkward pauses out the wazoo. He's just, he's like unprepared for this commercial. Like, like he had to do it on three, three seconds notice. He says he wants everyone to have a dictionary as long as they could afford it. That, that's, that's, a, that's a big campaign promise. I like that. He, wants, he wants Americans to read a, a great American novel each week. He would abolish spell check and calculators because you should have to use your mind. And in a line that I cannot disagree with, he says, a computer society is a defunct society mentally. <laughs> he is not wrong. He pretty much predicted how we'd all feel about Twitter in 2021. And TikTok. <laughs> and TikTok as well. <laughs> he tried to warn us. Justin, if Bob Backlund became president and demanded that you read a classic American novel every week, what would be the first one you'd read? Um, Titan Sinking. Hey! <laughs> I picked one of the ones that I didn't have right, so... <laughs> I'm, I'm less eager than I am. I'm still sucking up the James. <laughs> I'll read Titan Shrugged. <laughs> well, we haven't quite got that far yet. <laughs> There's the era breaking down the era of apathy in Monday Night Wrestling. Titan Shrugged. <laughs> Instead of the fountainheads, the fountain of misinformation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hear what you're saying. Like, I think if this if this ended up, I said this last week. If this ended up being Backlund becoming the president of the WWF, then great. But this is kind of pitched as like a a semi legit presidential campaign. It's just it's just there to amuse a few people. It, it, it's probably the Bruce Pat thing at Cornet. We used to say Bruce Pat, Bruce Pat, or it's Bruce Bruce Pritchard and Pat Patterson were just amused by it. They just of course, Vince too. That just for our own, just to make us laugh. Hmm. Although he, he he did propose that. Because the Japanese have a higher literacy rate than Americans, though. We should have 12-month school years to catch up to them with no summer vacations. When I was a kid, I saw this as a threat. Yeah, that's how he got you. That's why That's that's why you had to boo him. When I was 11. I was afraid that Backlund was going to become president, and that would happen. <laughs> like, no, I need my summer vacation. <laughs> I don't like want to read a book. ride my bike. <laughs> Backstage, DiBiase fires Bundy up because a big Canarin qualifier tonight. Meanwhile, the kid gets the house down in Orlando with Stephanie Wines showing him around. That's a hell of a walk-in committee. But I remember they as she showed him around the house. She was like, oh, I want to show you this part of the kitchen. It's my favorite part of the kitchen. And she opens these two double doors and the bushwhackers are there. Like, <laughs> how funny would it have been if the kid just got freaked out and just started battering the bushwhackers with a, with a <laughs> hammer? Ah! Get out! Get out! <laughs> I think I'd have that was fumigated now. 
<laughs> Next scene, if I, the big orange tent over top of the house, you have all the tubes coming in. <laughs> Sorry about that, mate. <laughs> we tried the shower. We just never done it before. I <laughs> yay. <laughs> Uh, Still sardines like in, in the uh, the air ducts. God love them. God love the bushwhackers. It's just nice to see them. Pretty sure they left them at the house when Stephanie Wine left. <laughs> I don't think that they lived there. <laughs> Maybe they're the ones that bought it. <laughs> if you don't want it, kid, we'll have it. We'll start a timeshare, cousin Luke. <laughs> <laughs> they were the original Shining Stars. Oh, that'd have been a great twist on the old bushwhacker gimmick. <laughs> it turned into a shanty. <laughs> been brilliant. Speaking of speaking of tag teams that are going nowhere, the Allied Powers versus Tony DeVito and Bill Payne. How dare you speak of Tony DeVito and Bill Payne like that? I know. It's... <laughs> we get an action zone clip of Bulldog getting Mabel up into the electric chair. That looked cool. Impressive. That looked good. Although the first visual was just Mabel's giant thighs and Bulldog's head sticking out like he's quite, like he's Krang. <laughs> John! <laughs> the Ninja Turtles are going to die whether they want to or not. Stop, Luger! He's trying to leave! <laughs> so After him, Mo! <laughs> So this matches every allied power squash you've ever seen where yeah. they have no chemistry and they're just doing their individual moves. <laughs> it is funny because like they look like they should be a decent tag team. They look like every inch they should be a decent tag team. They've got the mashup music that works well. They've got they've got similar attire. They're both big sweaty men with all the muscles and stuff. But like you say, there is no chemistry. There is less than no chemistry. You know what their team name should have been? <laughs> the Allied Carpets. <laughs> Body, oil, and water. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Because that's that's pretty much how it feels. With those two in there. <laughs> two muscular physiques that don't know the other ones there. What what'd you put that down to? Is it just the fact that they'd rather just be singles wrestlers and... Probably that. Lex probably mentally checked out at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Bischoff, you know, I mean, Bischoff low balls him for, the, for a comeback. And Lex's like, yeah, I'll take it, sure. <laughs> when, when they hang out with Sting again. Is that just because Bischoff kind of didn't want him there? And yeah. he went, oh, I'll offer him very little. And he went, yeah, I'll have it. <laughs> but that's a war story you can that someone could watch on, on YouTube right now. Whoa, YouTube.com slash Cultaholic. War stories. Written by mm. Justin Henry, voiced by Sam Driver. Uh, and edited by our incredible team of editors. It's uh, stories of incredible moments in the conflict of professional wrestling from up and down the decades. And that is one of my favorites. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you very much, Tommy. They're all great, but that one I particularly like. Well, that was the first one we did, actually, on Luger leaving in 95, which we'll cover in more detail as we go through these. So, meanwhile... This match is just a backdrop for Lawler hemming and hauling about wrestling Brett, accepting his challenge. 
he gets a good line about how Helen was putting tenderizer on her applesauce, which I've never heard before. That's still a good line. It is good. It is good. In the midst of all this, I wrote down two moves. The delayed vertical suplex on DeVito and Bulldog finishing Bill Payne with a power slam. Yeah, because there's, again, there's just no crack with them. There's no banter. They're just, they're going in, they're wrestling, they're tagging each other in and out, and then they're done. It's just Tell me. elementary. <laughs> so Vince says, Brett's coming back out, and Lawler freaks out. and It's kind of funny, actually. That, that was a funny bit, actually. That did make me chuckle. We actually have a main event level feud with Bite to it. That I'm actually excited about. Don't need Tenderizer. But it, we, get, we get a little bit of exposition for our future King of the Ring main event where we see uh, DiBiase issuing the challenge like, well, I have Sid and Tatanka. Why don't you and Bigelow team up, Diesel? No! I nominate DiBiase for Worst Booker of the Year for 95. You talk, We talk about Allied Powers being a team that just have no chemistry. Like, here's another one. If my school limited science department would still have more chemistry than this match, <laughs> than this, than this tag team division. So, so at one point we see, uh, we see the highlights from last week of Diesel chasing, D of Diesel chasing DiBiase to the back. And then said DiBiase ran like a scared rabbit. <laughs> at least he didn't run like a wet hen. <laughs> This is why we need JR on commentary for his for his lovable barnyard expressions. Scolded dog, government mule. <laughs> Indeed. Got a case of the limber tail. <laughs> this is, meanwhile, for King of the, in terms of King of the Ring, next week qualifier, The Undertaker versus Jeff Jarrett. This feels like a beefy main event for next week. Jarrett and Undertaker. Although Undertaker like should a... never be anywhere near the King of the Ring tournament. Why? He, he could be King of the Dead. King of the <laughs> King of the Dead. I always felt like I always felt like the like there's a there's a certain number of people on the roster that the King of the Ring tournament is beneath. And I always felt whenever when the Undertaker popped up in it, I thought that's beneath you to be in the King of the Ring. That like that time in O two when Steve Austin was meant to be in the King of the Ring. Like, what are you doing? No. He didn't do King of the Ring. He's done it. Silly beans. That's true. It felt like it was beneath him. But I'm intrigued to see Undertaker and Jeff Jarrett. We only get this like a handful of times throughout the a, next 10 years. It's definitely an odd matchup outside of USWA when it was Jarrett versus the Master of Pain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Very different world now. We, we get it here and we get it in your house DX. And I think that pretty sure this one's better. I think this is the definitive one coming up. Kama versus Barry Horowitz. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Let me just say right now that Kama doing chain wrestling and mat wrestling is weird. This is the godfather. There's a one point in this match where he does a couple of moves. And he does like a... What I think he's trying to do is a boxing shuffle. But it comes across like a dad jog. Like the sort of jog your dad will do on the way back to the car from the shop. Like it, he tries to do it like a like a fighter. But he just like looks like me dad coming out of the DIY store. <laughs> now, Charles Wright can get away with doing something like that because he actually can box. He can. He can. He's, he, but it just didn't look right. You can also put a curse on people better than Alexa Bliss can. 
Yeah, but he, he only made... thing is, he only made green gunk come out of Ultimate Warrior's forehead. He didn't make Randy Orton spit out black tar. <laughs> like, no, but... like he was a smoking PSA. No, but he did make Ultimate Warrior puke up applesauce before. Tenderize applesauce. Hey, there you go. Nice throwback. He did do that, didn't he? He made him do the vomit. He did make him do that. I'm just intrigued as to how... Because on Raw, we're now going to get the... This is going out the night after Raw. We haven't seen Raw yet. Uh, you will have, because you'll, be, you'll have heard graded by now. Um, but I'm intrigued to see what they... How silly things get between Orton and The Fiend between now and WrestleMania in three weeks' time. Like, does Orton's eyes pop out of his head at some point? Does his, does his head float off? I want to see how silly this gets. Uh, and the bit that isn't silly and is, and is, in fact, a bit of foreshadowing. Um, as Harwood's mounts a little bit of offense here, he stuns Kama a bit, backdrops him to the floor. Vince notes that Harwood's is winless to this point. A fact we never that, that we all know, but we never really seem to talk about. Perhaps this is going somewhere. Mm. Scratches my beard. But in the meantime, this match is really short, and Kama wins with this anticlimactic half crab. <laughs> the. <laughs> What it was, you just put on a half crab and that was it. John, draw an anticlimactic half crab. <laughs> <laughs> just a crab sat at the bar going, hey, i got to tell you this story, right? i got to tell you this story. The other day, I couldn't find my keys. I looked all over the place for my keys and uh, they ended up being uh, next to the door as I was leaving the house. <laughs> it's, just, it's a crab on the Dick Cavett show. <laughs> 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 I, I love Dick Cavett, but still, that's. <laughs> hey, you won't believe it the other day, right, Dick? I was, uh, I was driving, and just as I was as I was heading out, and I pulled up to the lights, and there was this uh, this this car that started revving his engine, started revving his engine at me, like, oh, I'm gonna race you. And then this other car turned up, and he started revving his engine as well. So you know what I did? I just I just stopped and let them go ahead, and I just made my way safely to my destination. Well, that's a very fascinating story there. Um, Anticlimactic recall... half crab. <laughs> Speaking of anticlimactic, here's Todd Pettengill. <laughs> He's not an anticlimactic half crab. He's an anticlimactic full crab. Right. What is Todd wearing? For the, I 1990. Mean, I, know, I know he's wearing the 90s, but <laughs> come on. This looks like... He fell into the lost property cupboard, right? Mm -hmm. It's just go through this ensemble for Todd Petting Zoo. It's a suit jacket waistcoat that, that looks like something from like a very posh suit jacket, like nice silky lining, complemented by an oversized beige corduroy jacket. He's dressed like they opening. He's dressed like they opened in the improv in Bismarck, North Dakota. <laughs> He's dressed like you're playing The Sims and you just press shuffle a lot. He looks like if Gary Shandling made a half-hearted attempt that goes Indiana Jones for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what? I'm wearing beige. Isn't this good enough? <laughs> Why not, Art? <laughs> That's a very dative reference, by the way. Uh, for more than one reason. Very appropriate, though. 
So what's so, he saying here, Justin? What's what, well, we, what's Shandlin saying here? Well, we have no Carver King of the Ring yet, but we do have a Hall of Fame update. Yes, we had a Hall of Fame in 1995, if you can believe it. First, he puts over the Philippine Marriott where they're having this, which I've never <laughs> been to the Philippine Marriott, but I'm, sh I'm, 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 I'm sure some rooms are nice. I mean, it's the Marriott, isn't it? It's fine. It's it's not remarkable, but it's it. Do you know what Marriott is like? The Hilton hotels, in the sense that you feel like you're staying somewhere posh, where really you're not. Mm. But the part that killed me is when he gave the phone numbers for three different states: Pennsylvania, Delaware, and my native New Jersey. In case you want to attend this event. And he gives the numbers, but not only do the numbers not appear on the screen at any point for you to write down to make it easier, but this is 1995, so there's no rewind function on, on, on your live TV uh, <laughs> screen there. It just, you miss it, you miss it. <laughs> oh, exactly. I guess I can watch Action Zone on Sunday to get the number. There's <laughs> <laughs> an appointment to an appointment of you. Let's get that number down. He doesn't repeat the number at any point. He just says them all one time each. You're not even prepared to write it down. You're just, you're just it's like, and we mentioned one inductee, which is Antonino Rocca. He, he I, mentions, he was, I have a confession to make here. Yes, sir. Um, all my time as a wrestling fan, all 30 years as a wrestling fan, as I've attempted to become a wrestling historian, I thought his name was Antonio. A lot of people did, but it's Antonino. And this is the first time in my entire existence I've heard his name said by somebody else and I've realized I got that wrong. It's Antonino Rocca. Were you secretly hoping that Todd got it wrong so you can make fun of him? I was. But then <laughs> I I have to be the better obscure company and go, nah, that's... I mean, he, he dressed wrong, but he got that right. <laughs> so... But so while he was right about that, he, he kind of glossed over what made Raka, you know, what made Raka Raka. And he talks about um how he was a star up into the mid seventies when he was an announcer. It's like you glossed over his what a what what a legend he was in Madison Square Garden in the forties and fifties to talk about like, oh he was there until the seventies and then he kinda died. It's just like <laughs> Well, thanks for that. Died. <laughs> Todd did his book report the night before it was due. <laughs> I'll just put it in this frilly cover me. I'll get at least a C plus on it. <laughs> so, well, just when I thought no one could out dumbass Todd, here comes Barry Dadinsky. Our, res <laughs> our, re our resident pro wrestling tease. <laughs> he, he's in the back of the audience plugging these Shawn Michaels all over shirt. Which. If you didn't know why this is called an all-over shirt, don't worry, because Barry Dadinsky is going to explain it to you. <laughs> you see, it's called an all-over shirt because your stuff all over the shirt. Because <laughs> you'll hate it all over. Because <laughs> you'll hate the look of it, and when it arrives, you'll hate it all over again. If you I, I, the kind of... <laughs> I thought I com right compared to what Barry did. Barry Dadinsky is hocking us here, like. Todd looks like he's about to step out on the Emmys red carpet in comparison to like this. I've written ugly as F t-shirts in my notes. Well, it's that's not the part that bothered me. It was the condescending part where they, they talk down to you as if you don't know why it's called an all over shirt. <laughs> just, it was like, remember when, when he first launched a network seven years ago, 
And he had the Bellas dresses flight attendants to explain how you download this thing and how you load it up. And it, it, it's like, Jesus Christ. It's like, why don't you teach me how to pee while you're at it? Oh, <laughs> that, that's a that's an instructional video. That'd be fun to see. It's a tough <laughs> one because um, because to an extent, like videos like that are needed. I think the majority of us get it. We do. But it's like <laughs> the one thing I've learned from doing like stuff in the radio is that audiences are really really effing lazy and they don't want to they don't want to think and it's and i'm not being disparaging it's true like if you give somebody too many hoops to jump through they're not going to be asked like that's why like like so many community radio stations fail and whatever because they'll oh you we're not on fm we're not on db you have to go to this website and you have to download this bit of software and you have to download this app for your phone nah people can't be asked that's that's why alexa is such a blessing for radio because you can just set up like an alexa skill that goes play that radio station that i like and you're away so to an extent i think there's a lot of people that you have to talk laboriously through the process and also with Dedinsky, right um mm-hmm. I'm going to just keep adding Duh's at the end of his name as, as we talk about him over the next couple of weeks. As Duda Dudinsky was, uh, was saying here, he, he must have a background in sales, in, in teleshopping and stuff. And they're used to having to spend an hour describing a teapot to you. <laughs> I think so you're right. He was, told, right. he was told, right, you've got, you've got to fill 25 seconds of talking about this awful T-shirt. Off you go. <laughs> So I'll just explain what an all over t-shirt is. That fills eight seconds. That's job done. I'm just picturing Norm MacDonald as Burt Reynolds walking up to <laughs> Will Ferrell as Alex Trebek with the all over shirts. And he's like, I got an all over shirt. Funny. Yes, I see that. It's just called a, it's called all over shirt because you know, it's, um, <clears throat> you know, it's all over the shirt. <laughs> like the giant oversized cowboy hat. It's like it's bigger than a regular hat. I've got a funny story, right? I rang that number to get an oversized T-shirt and uh, on an all-over T-shirt, and I didn't get through in the end, so I didn't get one. Thanks, half crab. Anticlimactic half crab. Thanks, anticlimactic half crab. So, is he crab on his dad's side or his mom's side? His. It was only half crab. Did disappoint, disappointedly, his mom's side. <laughs> his mom. His mom got tired of his shit quite early on. His father was some other kind of crustacean. <laughs> his fa- father worked at um, Red Lobster. <laughs> That's a sordid tale. Where everyone bought matching towels. <laughs> but now we come to the main event. King of the Ring qualifier. And you should be happy because we have two WrestleMania main eventers going on last. <laughs> yes! As it should be! <laughs> King of the Ring qualifier. King Kong Bundy versus the returning now babyface Sean Michaels. And I realize this is the first time we've done a show together where Sean wrestled as a babyface. Mm, this is the beginning of something special. Even Vince isn't sure at the start of this. Because Vince says, oh, let's wait and see what reaction Sean gets. Like, whether or not he's mm-hmm. he, he's setting it up so it feels bigger, that he's mm-hmm. now, like, beloved, or whether mm-hmm. Vince probably genuinely wasn't sure himself where this was going to go. I think Vince was looking over at the technician to make sure he pressed the right button on the heat machine. <laughs> <laughs> you you will press the correct button, right, Bob? <laughs> we learned that Mabel, Holly, and Razor have all qualified. No offense to any of them, but what a group. Mm. That is a 95 group. 
This is a depressing King of the Ring. I mean, let's pull up the King of the Ring bracket so far. Hang on. King of the Ring. May will be Adam Bomb. Holly beat. Uh, let's see if the losers got in. We're talking Adam Bomb, Mantar, and Jacob Blue. <laughs> That's the month you skip the DLC on the video game. Like, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. I'm happy with what I have. I mean, I'm looking at some. So, yeah, we, we Adam Bomb didn't make it. Uh, we've got Jared Undertaker next week, Karma and Drosy, Michaels and Bundy, Holly and Mantle, which we saw last week, Rody and Doink. I didn't know this was one of the qualified matches for the King of the Ring. Luger Yokozuna. Well, there's a story to that. Oh, we'll can we talk about it about yet? Uh, we'll learn about it in a few weeks. All right, all right, all right. Okay, then obviously Ray, Razor Ramon and Jacob Blue. I mean, whichever way you slice it, it's um, it's not the not the not the hottest <laughs> sixteen. I mean, the Undertaker's in there, and and he's great, um, but he shouldn't be there. Shawn Michaels seems to be the most obvious winner in all of this. Oh, he has to win. He's the heartbreak kid. He has kid. to win it. There's no way he could lose this tournament. No way. If he at least if he does lose, it'll probably be in the final. <sighs> I'm going to stop deluding ourselves. Oh, God. I so, hate this. <laughs> Bundy tries to attack, then Sean hits him with a V-trigger and knocks him through the ropes, which I was not <laughs> expecting. Yes! V-trigger! In 95! <laughs> Instead of hearing my battle cries, I won't put over this guy. <laughs> oh, song's still playing, by the way, but Bundy's on the floor selling. It occurred to me why they did this match. I and Mike Sharp should have been called the cleaner. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> John. <laughs> it occurs to me why they had Sean face Bundy here, which it seems like an odd matchup. But Bundy has DiBiase with him, so you have two genuine heels. And having Sean clown both of them makes it clear who the baby face is here and why you should be cheering for Sean. Yeah, you need a very clear face-heel divide for this one. Mm -hmm. Bundy being DiBiase's hired goon and, and uh, old DiBiase Alan Rickman goon. ringside as well, like to <laughs> double down on it. I like some of the dialogue that Vince uses to describe DiBiase here, uh, in which as, he's, as the match is progressing, you hear Vince say, Ted is a shifty-eyed millionaire who thinks he can buy anyone and anything. I can't help but feel that's projection on behalf of Vince McMahon. He sees a little bit of himself in there. Yeah, he's, he's very much lampooning himself on his own product. Well, at this point, Vince can buy whatever he wanted because if he did, he'd still have Hogan. That's but, true. But that's neither here nor there. Come back from break, the song's still playing because so Sean was obviously dancing while Bundy was catching his breath. <laughs> we, 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 we get a spot where Sean scares DiBiase off, then cross bodies Bundy from the top rope in a nice spot. And Sean's playing stick and move with the big guy here. Clowns DiBiase a little here and there. So Sean's clearly playful babyface Sean at this point. And they're really hammering that home. Mm -hmm. Takes this crazy corner bumper. He flips over the top rope in typical Sean fashion, but there's a full tumble to the floor, which looked fun. Back in the room, get the back body drop. <laughs> then Bundy goes to the rest holds. Long bear hug. Which Sean somehow counters into a sunset flip attempt. I've never seen that before. I loved that. That looked really smooth. 
He's just <laughs> showing everybody up here tonight, is Sean? No, it's Sean. He's the show stealer. Mm-hmm. Of course, show, I said show attempt. Stopper. It... Show stopper. And I did say attempt on the Sunset Whip because Bundy then sat on him. <laughs> as he just wants to do. Get a chin lock. Then we get this intrusive over-the-shoulder shot of Bigelow and Diesel watching on a 12-inch TV. Oh, this made me sad a little bit because I know that Nash doesn't like Bigelow in real life. I know they don't like him. The click. Uh, but what makes it sadder is, well, the good news is they're watching the TV correctly by looking at it head on. Yes. The, the sad news is, is it's one of those portable TVs you take camping with you so you can watch the football game. <laughs> I feel like any minute but Big Low's going to have to get up and wind it. It's, what is it, a Victrola? I'll, I'll put like twenty. I'll, I'll put like a quarter in it, like Krusty did in that episode of The Simpsons. <laughs> oh, that's, you need some glass cleaner for that, don't you? <laughs> so, it seems very intrusive. The cameraman is just standing right there over their shoulders. Yeah, it was a bit. <laughs> when I... We hit the break off of that. We come back. Sean's making his comeback at this point. He hit the springboard twisting something. I'm guessing it was like a forearm smash. Then super kick, and then Bunny loses clean. Clean as a whistle, sharp now, as a thistle. The story here, um, according to Dave for the Wrestling Observer, they're changing their philosophy completely on the super kick because 200 pound Michael's super kick has, quote, knocked out monsters like Diesel, Sid, and Bundy now already. It was about as good a match with Bundy that could possibly be. Uh, mm-hmm. So basically, this is them going what what Razor Ramon said to Sean a while a while ago. Them going, look, that kick's cool. That's your finish. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. It's you know, he's, he's cycled through like back suplexes and pile drivers, even a fisherman suplex that lifted from Kurt Hennig. This is his best move. Mm-hmm. It looks and, great, and it kept him at the dance for a long time after that. And it works because it's a move that you can hit on anybody because it doesn't involve any lifting or throwing. You just you run at them and you just throw your foot into their face at top speed. And you've got realistic. uh, You've got good circumference on your leg. You and Mm -hmm. you can knock out anyone like a Bundy or a Diesel, as they said, or a Sid. It's a great finish. It's definitely a realistic finish. Mm. Sean gets the win. He's now in the tournament. Out comes Diesel and Bam Bam. Sean seems a little bit uneasy, a little pensive at the sight of them. Diesel wants a handshake. Sean balks at it. He's he, instead he wants the super high five. Diesel raises the arm. Sean does the leap. High five. Reunion is complete. Big babyface love in here to end the show. And doesn't Bigelow look out of place here? Sean and Diesel thought the same thing. I'm sure. <laughs> it's like it's a bit like when you're going out for a drink with a with like a work colleague and all of a sudden your work colleague's best mate bumps into them and all of a sudden they're making jokes and bants and they're standard extras and you're just there going i'm here too that's okay i'm here as well i'm a a main event bill was trying to make the most out because this is this big push that gave him armbands that shoot fire (laughs) and you can't use in matches (laughs) which i know right if you use them he'd be the champion but the token it is a it is a strange um I mean in hindsight, hindsight's twenty twenty, could you not have swapped Bigelow out with 
Sean for King of the Ring and had Sean and Diesel face the Million Dollar Corporation and had Bigelow in the tournament for King of the Ring. Would that not have... It makes more sense to me. Certainly would have made more sense. But I guess they're, they're, they're... At this point, I think Vince is still somewhat reluctant to go. Shawn Michaels is the top guy because he's small and Bam Bam Bigelow are big. So we need to go there. So maybe Vince, whilst he believes there is a lot of a lot of potential within Sean, maybe doesn't trust him with the keys to the keys to the kingdom yet. Uh, it's just a, it was definitely a weird decision, especially since you're not going to have Sean win the tournament, and you got to keep him strong. Bigelow is a little more sacrificable. Mm. And Bigelow and Karma could have fought to a count out quite convincingly. Yeah, absolutely. Batted each other into into oblivion, and then you mm. could have done that. We should have Vince on the show. We do the King of Ring watch along <laughs> with us. Instead of going, shit, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> I'll drop him a DM. <laughs> you coming on, Vince? And speaking of Vince, he runs down next week for us. We go to the table. It's uh, Sid will be in action. I'm excited. Mm. Um, Hakushi will also be in action. We have to take your JR qualifier. Vince keeps egging Lawler on for the for, for Brett's challenge. Laura acts like he's choking on something. He can't speak, so he can't say yes or no. <laughs> Taker and Bear have comments to end the show. Taker vows to win the King of the Ring, and that is that. There you go. Next week, Jarrett and Undertaker fight for the prestigious King of the Ring 95. I'm sure one of those two will win it and nobody else. Can't think of anybody else that could possibly win that tournament. No, nah, it's, um, it's got to be an established main event guy already, and otherwise you're just opening the whole can of worms there. <laughs> best part for me this week um i think brett and lawler or all the return oh, of Shawn michaels either one of those two this is actually this was the one of the better roles i've seen that didn't have a great match on it mm. overall i mean we make fun of it but this is actually a, a solid show that kept stuff moving forward yeah yeah and and, and i think we, we we enjoy these more since they are few and far between in 1990 <laughs> absolutely uh we are back next week this is our brand new day by the way it is a tuesday from going forward where we'll be back and and hopefully we will continue in uninterrupted dissecting episodes of raw obviously we are you know full disclosure justin henry's uh moved to, uh, in america uh where peacock is about to take over from the network and as as of recording those episodes of raw aren't on there so slight issue <laughs> we... it take a little time but if, if, if there is a gap we shall return in full strength and with well we're still going for the time being because when does the network go off in america is um it, is it the third in two or... in in two weeks so we can get two more shows in before then yeah we'll squeeze we'll squeeze two more shows in for them we'll be fine we'll figure something out in the meantime i'm sure we will, we will. until then hey your suggestions will be very welcome and you can send them to him because he is at jrh writing on twitter i am at tom campbell on twitter <laughs> we are at cultaholic on twitter don't forget to join us so i found in my wallet right i found a 50 pound no i'm crab <laughs> Love you, bye. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. <laughs>